0: Nice. We've got some organ music this morning. I like that. That little keyboard of yours does all kinds of stuff, doesn't it? <laughs> Very nice. Welcome, everybody, to First Methodist La We are glad you're here this morning. I know some of you stayed up really late last night watching the football game, and so I'm grateful that uh, you came this morning. And uh, we're going to continue our series with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And this is, you know, we're working on our faith together. This is, uh, this is the content that Jesus preached when he went from town to town, preaching the message of the kingdom. This is the general contents that he preached. It's probably an overview of what he preached from town to town. And you can find this information reflected a lot of different places in Scripture just to rehearse some of the main points we've been going over in this series, the three main points that covered the entire series are, number one, from Matthew 5.48, God's goal for us is to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I wanted to work on that terminology a little bit because, you know, that's a word that seems unattainable. But Lynn's children's sermon this morning was actually really good. It's a good setup. So you were hearing God this morning, Lynn. Thank you. Because what the word means is mature. It's fully formed, reaching its end. And so, you know, I'm up here before you, a grown man, five foot ten and a half, and I like wearing jogging shoes for the same reason some of you like wearing cowboy boots. It pushes me up there around that coveted six-foot range. But fully formed, I'm a fully grown man, right? So mature, but I'm not a finished product. Are you with me? So perfect, that the original word teleos in the Greek, fully formed, mature, I'm a fully grown man, but I'm not a finished product. Are you with me? And so it's interesting, that word uh, perfect, having all of the components in place so that I can make progress in the world and be a, a fruitful member of the world. You know, with the Sermon on the Mount, in particular with the Beatitudes, which we're going to continue this week, Jesus is giving us the ingredients that we need to make progress on the long, difficult road. Remember, the goal is perfection. The path to perfection is difficult to get on, and it's difficult to make progress on that road. But if we get all of the ingredients in place, we get uh, all of the Beatitudes growing in the garden of our heart, Then we become fully formed, mature, able to make consistent progress down that road. I wanted to read to you before we get into the Beatitudes this morning, we're gonna do some math, actually, this morning. How many of you like math? Not very many. Fortunately, we're doing math with words and not numbers. If we put numbers on the screen, that would be like Chinese to me as well. But I wanted to read to you from... Colossians, because I want to look, take a look at Paul's ministry in Colossians. And I want you to see if you can see the influence of the Sermon on the Mount on how Paul thinks about his ministry. I'm going to read to you from Colossians chapter one. Start, I'm going to start in verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That's you and I. Verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission of God, gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Not just to present to you the word of God, but the word of God in all of its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, that's you and I, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now look at what he says. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Think about this. This is the goal of the the Apostle Paul's ministry, the object for which he is laboring and striving. He's preaching Christ in its fullness. That's all he's really focused on, is preaching the word of Christ, the word of God in its fullness, Fullness, so that it would produce perfection or maturity or completion in the body of Christ. That's the goal. He says in verse 29, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. It's clear and it's a consistent message You'll find this in Ephesians as well. The goal of the Christian faith, the goal of the Sermon on the Mount, the goal of Christianity is producing full maturity or perfection in the people that are the beneficiaries of, the believers in that message. That's the goal. That's what we're working for, and that's what we're working on week in and week out is seeing this goal realized in our minds and hearts. And the the Beatitudes, what we're going to continue today, these are the key ingredients that need to be in place in our minds and hearts in order to see this, uh, this goal really accomplished. Now, to be fair, our father, John Wesley, would say that most Christians, and he included himself in this, would not realize this goal or this objective until at or very near the time of death. And so the road is very long and difficult indeed, but we have to keep that objective in mind and in focus. We have to get all of those ingredients growing in our minds and hearts so that we can make consistent and regular progress towards that goal because it will not happen on accident, let me assure you. Arriving at that destination will not just happen by accident. It takes regular, consistent effort and faithfulness uh, in order to get to the end that God is calling us to. So with that being said, let's go to the Beatitudes and let's do some math together. Let's have some fun with math this morning. Jazlyn, if you'd throw up my first slide. So this is what we covered last week. And so you'll see this in the Sermon on the Mount. They, in threes, they actually, uh, they come to an equation. The first step on the Sermon on the Mount is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's where you're, we are initiated into the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize that we are blind, poor, and naked before a good and holy God, the only thing we bring to the equation in a relationship with God is need, we realize we have nothing to bring to God other than need. Blessed are those who mourn, those who, who are willing to face the brutal facts about themselves and see themselves as they really are before God. They mourn as a result of what they see, and the Bible says that, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What that means is they will be brought strength. When we realize we bring nothing to the equation with God and we we're willing to feel the, uh, just the weight of that, we're willing to mourn over that, God brings us his strength. That's a good trade, church. Blessed are the poor in spirit plus those who mourn. The, that equation, that formula, the, the product, what it equals is the meek. Now, the meek are those who have taken the strength that God has brought them. Listen, it's real strength. It's real power. The meek are those who have power and strength. They're not weak. They're not timid. They have real strength from God. But they exercise restraint in using that strength, and they use it for the benefit of others and not themselves. And so that's what we covered last week. Let's go to the next equation, Jaslyn. This is the one we're going to cover this week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And if you take those two and you put them together, that equation equals the pure in heart. Church, the pure in heart, the promise is that they will be able to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now let's talk about this equation a little bit. How many of you know that one of the most important signs of life is hunger? You know, if you stop hungering and you stop thirsting as a person just in your physical body, don't you know that's a good sign something's wrong? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now here's the thing. Think about this. Any of you guys know people who hunger and thirst for righteousness but are absolutely no fun to be around whatsoever? Have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever met any other Christians like that? They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to get it right. They want everyone else to get it right, but they are an absolute joy killer, and you avoid them at all costs. I think we all know people like that. Let me tell you, this is the type of person who's gotten this verse right, but they've forgotten the first one. They have missed a step on the road. They skipped that step poor in spirit. They skipped that step, and they went right to the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's what you've got. You've got a Christian who has not died to self. They haven't abandoned themselves yet. And so they've taken that hunger and thirst for righteousness thing and they've turned it into self-righteousness. This is why that first step on the road is critical. If you skip that first step and you just try and do this one, you'll turn into one of those self-righteous people that's harsh and cruel and judgmental that nobody wants to be around. This is why the next verse, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we do it the right way, when we've abandoned our self-interest, when we've abandoned trying to, to be somebody for God, when we've abandoned that, and we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says they will be filled. Not only will we have the kingdom of God, but we will have the fullness of the kingdom of God. And church, that's what I'm going for. I don't want just an initiation. I want the fullness because the text says blessed or happy are those who do all of these things. And I want the fullness of all of this because I want to be happy. Remember, that's what that word blessed in the text means. It means happy. And I want the fullness of everything that God has for me in this life. And I want to be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now, the next verse, blessed are the merciful Notice how these two balance each other out. Do you see that? What we see here are the two big ditches that Christianity gets in. We've either got churches that are legalistic and focused on following the rules, or we've got churches that are overly permissive and say every person's choices are okay. God loves everyone equally. And that's true. God does love everyone equally, but he doesn't accept everyone equally and all of the behaviors they bring with them. And so here's the thing. These two balance each other out. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to get it right for myself. I want the the church to get it right. I want the world to get it right. I even want our politicians to get it right. I don't waste a lot of energy on that. But, But I have that desire. And blessed are the merciful. These two balance each other out because they will be shown mercy. Once again, whenever we're poor in spirit, we face the brutal facts about ourselves and we're able to feel, we allow ourselves to feel the the negative emotions associated with that. We're deeply in touch with how much mercy we require. We have to get that first step right, really allow ourselves to feel how much mercy I require. And now because I'm in touch with that, I'm able to show other people mercy in their weakness. As I hold these two things in balance, the end result is the pure in heart, and the text says the pure in heart will see God. They'll be able to see things clearly, impartially, their judgment has been enabled by God and his strength. And now let's do a little algebra with these words. Let's go to the next slide, Jaslyn. Take the first equation, the result, the meek. Put it together with the pure in whole heart, the result of the second equation. And the end result is the peacemakers. Here's what it says. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. In other words, God's kids look just like him. When all of these pieces are in place, you've got the meek, those who have real strength from God. They're powerful people. They're not weak, they're not timid. They have real power from God. When you take that with and combine it with the pure in heart, those who have good judgment, they can see clearly. The end result are peacemakers. Now, notice what the word does not say, which is what many of us tend to do with this attitude. You notice it doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Right? I want to let that sink in for just a second. A peacekeeper is someone who sticks their head in the sand when there's a problem. Tries to just hide and hope it goes away and just let it go, right? It'll just work itself out. And sometimes that's the right approach, but more often than not, God isn't calling us to be peacekeepers. He's calling us to be peacemakers. We take the strength the ability that God has given us. We're able to see clearly so that we can take our strength and apply it to the problems of the world around us and do it in a way that's a blessing and not a burden. And we're able to actually make a real difference, a real impact on the world around us. And the text says whenever we get all of these things in place, We're the sons of God. We're acting and behaving just like God does in the world. Now let's look at the last verses in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. They're not persecuted for being annoying. They're persecuted because of righteousness. God says you will be hated. You will have people hate you. Whenever you embrace all of these qualities and apply them in the way that I want you to, you'll you'll be uh, you'll make other people jealous. They won't like the fact that you're beautiful and winsome and a blessing to the world around you. They won't like the fact that you're making an impact. You will be hated. Jesus says because of these things, but you're blessed. You're blessed. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit is the initiation. Whenever we're hated because we're living all of these things out in a consistent way, we have the fullness of the kingdom of heaven being expressed not only within us, but through us to the world around us. And then let's end with this last few verses here. We're in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus is saying. In other words, that that means it's working. That means you're getting it right. When you're hated, when you're resisted, When people talk about you to other people and tell lies about you, guess what? Get excited. That means you're getting it right, he says. And then look what it says, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. And here it is. It's a consistent message throughout the Sermon on the Mount because great is your reward in heaven. I want you to think about this. This is something I've touched on and we'll teach more in depth when we get to the next series, The Coming Kingdom of Heaven. But Jesus has these qualities that he wants growing in the garden of every Christian's mind and heart, the Beatitudes. We are to take it seriously. We are to explore the fullness of what it means. We are to try and grow in these attributes uh, more and more and more as time goes on with more excellence. Jesus says it's going to be extremely difficult. But whenever we live these things out to the point that we're getting pushback from the world around us, he says, great is your reward in heaven. Again, this is something that goes far beyond getting to heaven. It speaks about our reward in heaven. He is encouraging us There's a payday coming. And I'll just tell you some of the different ways the Bible talks about rewards. You guys don't know this one. The Bible talks about receiving heavenly crowns, right? You guys know that one? Well, what is a crown exactly? It's not just a fancy piece of jewelry. What is a crown? Who wears a crown? Kings, right? Princes. A crown is a symbol, that this person has the right to rule a certain territory. Are you with me? A crown represents the right to rule, authority. It it represents uh, being given a position. It represents an assignment, a work assignment, a crown. And the text says that we're to take our crowns into what? Throw them at the feet of Jesus, right? Now, here's what that means. We take the position that we've been given. We take the position. It's ours. But By laying the crown at the feet of Jesus, what that symbolizes is, God, you've given me this assignment. You've given me authority over this area, the responsibility to do this. But I give you the right to rule me. That's what that symbolizes. Think about some of the other things the text talks about. It talks about being given white robes, right? There are not only pieces of clothing, but jewelry that that kind of distinguish our status. And all of those things are important. They're gonna be important to you. They're important to you now, aren't they? Don't you care about what kind of clothes you wear right now? Everybody does. You care about uh, things that just make you feel good and look good. God is going to have uh, pieces that he gives to us that reflect how he feels about how we loved him in this life. And you're really gonna care about things like that. Talks about where we live. I think that not only speaks of what type of house we live in, but geographically, where we get to live, who we get to associate with. All of these things, they're important in this life and they're important for a reason because that's the way God set things up. There will be rewards that are eternal based upon how faithfully and diligently and persistently we did what Jesus taught and dug into the fullness of what it means. And, and that's why we spend so much time doing this together and we work so hard on it consistently over time because not only does it produce happiness in this life, which it does, but we are accumulating an eternal reward in heaven that we're going to get to enjoy forever that we really will care about. We really will will care about it. Many Bible verses speak to this. Many verses in the Sermon on the Mount speak to this. And we uh, will touch on it in this series, but we'll teach about it in depth in the next series in the coming kingdom of heaven. Now let me finish with this. We're gonna leave the Beatitudes uh, as we go from here this week and we're gonna focus on the next components of the series and I just wanna frame those as we approach those topics in the coming weeks. The Beatitudes are the key ingredients that we need to bake the cake. The Beatitudes are the key components that we need to build a complete house. Now, there's all kinds of things that we can do to improve upon that house, uh, to uh, customize that cake. There are all kinds of things we can do. These are the core foundational components that we need in order to be fully mature. The Beatitudes. Here's the problem. There are things present in all of our minds and hearts that want to keep those things from growing. And so Jesus is going to talk about that in the coming verses, things in our minds and hearts that want to keep these things from growing effectively. And then he's going to talk about things that we do, kingdom activities that cause these things to to be fertilized, if you will. And so this is going to be the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And I want to leave here today. Just praying and believing that God will cause these things to grow more prolifically in our minds and hearts. It will produce happiness in our homes, in our marriages. I do marriage counseling all the time. Church, I've done this for many years. Uh, do, couples will come to me and ask me if I will counsel them for marriage. And I've done lots of different marriage consulting curriculums before, and I've not really been that satisfied with any of it. You want you know to know what I do for married couples? We do a Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we do. The key to a happy marriage, the key to successful parenting, the key to uh, having happy employees, happy friendships, is doing the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're gonna pray as we leave here that God would ca- cause these qualities to grow. We want happy lives, happy homes, happy friendships. We want to be aware of the things that want to keep those things from growing in our heart. We want to be aware of the things that God has given us to cause them to be fertilized. And we're trusting in all of it, like the Apostle Paul said, that we come to our desired end together as a church, being made perfect. You know, the the Bible says that before the return of Jesus, think about this. He's going to come to a church that is pure and without spot and without blemish. Church, are we there yet? We got a long ways to go, don't we? Listen, this is the goal as individuals. As individuals, God wants us to be perfect. As we take that seriously together, we're actually making progress to seeing that realized. And the text says that in in one of the epistles of Peter, as we do that together as the church, it hastens the day of the Lord's coming. Think about that. It's a powerful thing, and so this is where we're going as a church. This was the apostle's, the apostle Paul's goal and objectives. Uh, this is what we're focused on together as a church. I just want to pray over us as uh, Shelley and the, the choir lead us in a closing song. I just want to pray over us. You know, the apostle Paul said uh, his goal wasn't to be a fancy preacher. It wasn't to preach fancy sermons. His goal was that the fullness of the word of God would be preached and taught. And he was confident that that would produce full maturity or perfection in the people that that he pastored to and, and, and led. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that the grace or the ability or the power or the strength of God would be increased We don't want to be just initiated into the power of God. We want the fullness of the power of God expressed in our midst. So Father, I pray that over every person here. Everyone here that's been initiated into the faith, we're grateful for that. We affirm that. We say, yes, you're loved and accepted by God. You have a place, but that's not enough. There's so much more. And so, Father, we just pray that we would be filled to the fullness of God, like your word says, that it would accomplish its desired end. We say that we agree with you. We want perfection. We want the fullness. And so, Holy Spirit, help us, we pray. And so we're willing to face the brutal facts together. So Holy Spirit, I just trust that even as we're praying this, you're convicting people. You're convicting people of things that are blocking their path, that they've been ignoring, that they haven't been able to get around or over. And I just pray that we would take that seriously in a new way as we move forward into the coming weeks. I'm trusting for breakthroughs. I'm trusting and believing for breakthroughs, Father. And it's not just one, it's many, many breakthrough after breakthrough, but we're just praying for real breakthroughs. We get through and past obstacles in our path so that we're really making progress again. Again, as individuals and as a church, we're getting better. And so we declare our intention to move forward, to receive everything that you have for us, And to be persistent, we're not gonna quit regardless of how difficult it gets, regardless of whether or not people uh, tell lies about us. We don't care. So Father, thank you. We love you.